Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. everyone and welcome to this spoiler review for invincible season one from the geek buddies recording early in the morning you can now <laughs> well uh we're gonna get into some things here you know this uh, incredible series thank you all for joining us first of all this incredible series from amazon prime and robert kirkman and a few other people that we're going to mention here in just a little bit uh is an adaptation of the comic uh, that was written by Kirk. Uh, there's a number of compilations of this out right now and we're gonna break this first season down eight episodes incredible stuff what 45 to 50 minute episodes Per episodes, chock full of storylines, chock full of some fantastic voiceover acting, some great animation. And we're going to jump into all of it here on uh, this review. And if you have not seen Invincible Season 1, maybe this is the time to stop, go watch it, then come on back and pick up where you left off here for this review. Definitely go watch it first. Go watch (laughs) it first. Don't listen to us. Go watch that. This is not that kind of situation. Go watch it, then come back and listen to us. So let's start off first. Uh, overall, gentlemen, well, I guess I should give a little bit of the plot here. Uh, Stephen Yoon plays his character named Mark Grayson, a young 17-year-old kid, his normal high school senior with a normal part-time job and otherwise normal life, except his dad, uh, uh, portray- voiceover portrayed by J.K. Simmons, Nolan is Omni-Man, the most powerful superhero on the planet, saving people alongside the most famous troop of heroes, the Guardians of the Globe. Mark begins to display his latent superpowers, uh, which comes from his father being a member of the Viltrumite race. Uh, and they are, according to Nolan, supposed to protect the galaxy on a mission of benevolence and enlightenment. But of course, that isn't the case. And it leads to all kinds of insane situations, overwhelming situations, emotionally draining situations, and some fantastic scenes and moments throughout the series. Gentlemen, I'll start with you, Vogel. What was your overall feeling now as you've had a few days to process the finale uh, and the entire series of Invincible? Uh, I just have an overall feeling in general in life right now that it is a great time to be a geek. 
That yep. that is my overall feeling because uh, the content that we get continues to raise the bar every single time. Uh, yep. Whether that is the Marvel shows, uh, Mandalorian, The Boys on Amazon, like every single time we're getting these adaptations. Uh, a lot of people today don't remember when we used to get adaptations of things; they were not great. Yeah, we were just lucky to see something on screen, yeah. and Invincible being one of my favorite comic books of all time, uh, I have been excited every single time that I've heard news about Invincible, whether it was a live action movie or an animated series, and always wondering, like, will they be able to match the tone of the comic? Mm -hmm. Will they be able to match the emotional impact of the comic? Uh, will they be able to go as far as the comic went? And what's been amazing about this series is not only did they go as far as the comic went, in a lot of ways they went further, and mm -hmm. by some of the story changes they made, they made the story even better. Uh, so I, I could not be happier. Um, it was an intense ride, even knowing where things were going to end up. I mean, even knowing where they were going to end season one, uh, mm -hmm. it still was a, was a rough watch and I, I couldn't be happier. And I'm really excited to talk about what this show does for the superhero genre and what it says about the superhero genre. Yeah, Shannon, Mike makes excellent points here. Along with Stephen Yoon and J.K. Simmons, we also had Sandra Oh, Seth <clears throat> Rogen, Jillian Jacobs, Zazie Beetz, Mark Hamill, Walton Goggins, Jason Manzuka, Zachary Quinto, Maharsha Ali, Kevin Michael Richardson, Greg Griffin, Kari Payton, and so many more voices involved in this series. Uh, what did you feel overall about the, the heavyweight cast, the animation, the storylines, the way they adapted this story to uh, an animated series? Well, I mean, I don't know if our audience remembers. I'm sure they do. But, like, I was the one that had not read about it. And right. leading up to its release, all the marketing materials, um, I was like, okay, this looks very generic superhero-y. Now, I know you guys have said, like, there are big twists coming, and that's why they're, that's why the, the marketing is so, is so kind of straightforward is because you yeah. don't want to kind of tip, tip your hand to those big twists that were coming. And within the first two episodes, I... I by the end of the season, I still wasn't a fan of the animation. Like I was like, I just oh, don't, wow. this just doesn't click okay. for me. And granted, I'm not, I'm not the animation guy that Vogel is. I mean, he, he has, he's much more learned when it comes to this stuff. But I mean, I just know that, that <laughs> um, some of the character designs, I'm like, ah, it's just, I, I, it does, it does not please my eyeballs. That being said, the storytelling is dynamites um mm. once once i got past those first two episodes and you start to kind of peel the layers and, and get to what the story is really about and you get to know more of your supporting cast as well and their stories um especially yeah. kevin michael richardson and the Mahler brothers i mean he, oh my God. he he's he's dynamite i mean i yeah. i was lucky to work with him on a project and and, and aside from just being an, a really really good guy um mm. he is he is magical behind the microphone like he sits yeah. down and he just he can just bring these characters to life with his voice um storytelling was outstanding the performances top to bottom were outstanding i'm not always the biggest jason manzoukas fan um but in this i thought he was he was outstanding gillian jacobs zazie beats i mean i i thought they were all doing such good work and by the end when i saw the the ultimate twist of the first season i was kind of like oh okay mm -hmm. so that's why that's why you cut those trailers the way you did because you didn't want to <laughs> you didn't want to give the give the audience who wasn't uh who wasn't um aware of the property or wasn't uh, intimately acquainted with the property you, you didn't want to you didn't want to give them uh, an idea of what was coming because the storytelling is so good you get yeah. so emotionally invested 
in Mark's story. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really excited to see what happens with uh, season two and season three, yeah. um, even though the animation is maybe not my cup of tea. Wow, strong statement. Strong statement See, about the animation. Okay, it's, uh, yep. it's interesting to me. I'm actually just curious, and we can <clears throat> we can we yep. can have this further conversation offline. But uh, to me, I what I liked about the animation is because I know that you're a fan of the DC animated movies because we just went through and watched a bunch of them. And to me, Invincible is a slightly higher production value version of those DC animated movies. Mm-hmm. I think it's like it's the similar style or a similar animation quality to the DC animated films just like up leveled a little bit so it's interesting that that like because I know you like those and that this one didn't I wonder if it's like the character designs or what it is that wasn't quite pleasing to your eye part of it is the character designs um I feel like Debbie's design is really hard to get into like I I don't know it's just for some reason I was like you know I hear the wonderful voice of you know Sandra Oh and I'm kind of like ah this 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 character just doesn't look right to me, and I think maybe the difference between Invincible and the the DC the animated films, um, and, and I think you guys had said this was this was deliberate is the brightness, the, the mm. difference in the brightness. Yeah. I mean, Invincible yeah. is so bright, whereas the DC films tend to be a little darker and right. might be able to, at least for my eyes, hide those character designs that I may not be the biggest fan of. Okay. okay. Well- Well, I'll say this. I absolutely loved it. I thought the first season was stellar. I was completely engrossed in this story. Uh, And of course, I had read it and was interested to see how they turned things around, how they twisted, how they'd move events. Uh, And having that huge reveal in the first episode was a massive shock. I thought they would build up to it, but I thought it was brilliant. Just like when they adapted The Boys on Amazon Prime as well, I think they kind of really uh, uh, maneuvered some of the storylines, some of the story beats, some of the big moments in the comics, and also you know took away some of the other unsavory stuff and made it work really well. I thought they did the same thing here. Uh, I didn't have a problem with the animation. I liked it, like the animation, but again, my, my eye is not the animation eye, but I certainly enjoyed it. And I loved the voiceover acting, loved the storylines. Walton Goggins and Kevin Michael Richardson really were the standouts for me. Although Steven Yoon in that finale is doing some stellar effing acting throughout that finale. So he's doing to, he's doing the Lord's work. He's doing the Lord's work in that that's episode. Fair. He is doing the Lord's work. But throughout every every and, and I loved the storylines here with Zazie Beats with Zazie Beats and Gillian Jacobs, this kind of faux possible love triangle that really kind of settles itself out as the season goes along. There's certainly shades of, of of Peter Parker and Spider-Man. You can't escape that, you know, with Mary Jane, uh, uh, as uh, you know, that idea of Mary Jane and Gwen Stacy there with Peter Parker, the dad stuff, all of that here. So it's an interesting father-son story as well that really takes some incredibly extreme turns. Uh, and and Clancy Brown is Damian Darkblood, just stellar stuff as well. So throughout, I was engrossed in the storylines. Did sometimes his best friend get a little irritating? I didn't want to see more of him. Yes. But, oh, uh, oh, <laughs> oh, here comes the homophobia. <laughs> no, here it comes. I love the gay people. But that episode with him, uh, and, you know, with him and the guy that he's got the crush on and all of that, D.A. Sinclair, I thought that was an excellent episode, a great way to portray like the gay pro- point of view, uh, as we've seen so many times, the hetero point of view of looking at someone's features and being in love with them and having a thing for them and then using that to kind of bring them out of whatever spell they're in. I thought that was a great episode, but sometimes it got a little on my nerves, but I, you know, I, you know, it's a little to hear that. I hear you on Debbie, uh, Shannon, a little bit, and you're not the only one. I, some of the other reviews that I've read uh, over, the, over the last few weeks have commented on the animation 
uh, being both good and bad. Uh, so th- we, I've seen that, but I personally had no problem with the animation. Maybe because I was seasoned by the comic book, I expected that look, so I had no problem. And I like the idea of bright animation to juxtapose the really dark shit we got throughout this season uh, of Invincible. So for me, overall, well, uh, Mike, I also listening? think to be fair, yeah, to be <laughs> fair to. The Debbie criticisms. Debbie suffers from a problem that you commonly get into when you're animating uh, a big action superhero series, which is uh, whether you're using one studio or you're using several different studios, which is very common, um, you usually have like your A team, your B team, your C team, um, and you're going to put your A team on your big action. Like when you have these huge epic city spanning action sequences, your A team gets those. And oftentimes, which sucks, when you get like a nice quiet scene at home where there's fewer characters and fewer shots and it's kind of like a simpler animation style where you just want to focus on the acting, sometimes you get your B and your C team. So I think Debbie maybe suffered a little bit from she never got to be in the big action sequence. Like with Nolan and with Invincible and with a lot of the other heroes, you know, you might have them in a quieter scene, but then you're going to go see them do awesome action and do some amazing shit so your mind kind of blends the really good animation and the less good animation and debbie maybe tended to be more uh i don't know this for sure but uh debbie maybe tended to be more often on the teams that were not doing uh not not going all out with the animation with the pencil mileage it's interesting that you say that because the the three characters like debbie was the most extreme example the other two Mm. characters were were cecil Walton Goggins' character, but because he had that scarring, it's kind of like, okay, you can kind of justify that. But I also thought Adam Eve, um, in her scenes where it wasn't really? the action, like, yeah, when she when she's, you know, she's off living living by herself in the in yeah. the, the treehouse. Um, th- there were times that it, it felt like her design was just it was just mm-hmm. a little jagged for me. Okay. It, it, I I often, even like I could I could walk you through uh 2D Disney movies like Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast, mm-hmm. and it will drive me crazy because depending on which scene and who was working on it, like, oh, this character's a little bit off model here, more off model here, the acting is amazing in this moment, but less good in this moment. And I think that's true. I think I sort of just chalk that up to that's the process. So I sort of look at it as I grade on the curve of like what was the full season, the ma- right. the amazing animation and the less good, but I think Picking out those characters that you're picking out, it does seem to be like an ABC team situation. And certainly, Omni Man got a lot of love after that finale because he's all he was all over the meme universe. And Boss Logic did a lot of did a lot of uh, work on that end. So certainly, that character design worked for seemed like a number of people. But let's give some credit out of here to the creators here: Robert Kirkman, Ryan Otley, and Corey Walker. Uh, Kirkman is executive producer. For those of you who may not know who Robert Kirkman is, but you've been under a rock. It, well, The Walking Dead that's his baby as well. He wrote the first episode. Uh, then there was uh, uh, Corey Walker. He was he's the show's lead character designer. So maybe you. Want want to send your strongly word, worded letter Shannon to him and Ryan Otley who drew a majority of the books a books run was a creative consultant on this so this I'm gonna ask you Mike this is a rarity when the people involved in the comic book actually are the people who do the animated series am I correct on that oh yeah for sure I mean Look, Invincible's been shopped around forever. I think I said on one of our previous episodes, you know, for a while I met with Robert Kirkman and Mm. the Circle of Confusion team about trying to get it at Sony Television and then again at Hasbro. 
and I've never been happier in my life that I failed to succeed at something because <laughs> neither of those would have been what we got to see on Amazon. But they've been shopping it around for a while and credit to them that they were really firm on this is the creative team uh, and mm -hmm. this is what this show is going to be because there's a thousand ways that this show could have fallen into a different showrunner's hands, uh, mm -hmm. a different animation style. I mean, look, Shannon's criticisms aside, which are a thousand percent valid, they went out of their way to make sure that every character in this show looks the way they do on that comic book page. Yes. And yeah. maybe that's less successful for some characters in the jump from a, from a, from a still image to full animation, but it mm -hmm. like, if you you're a fan of this comic, you are getting 100% that on screen, which to your point, John, is 100% a rarity. And yeah. I hope that we see more of that. I hope that people realize that taking these creative teams, surrounding them with other talented people and letting them do it is really the way to go. Yeah. And speaking of other talented people, the writers included all three of those gentlemen I just mentioned. Simon Rakiopa, I hope I'm saying that right, Chris Black, Curtis Gwynn, Christine Lavoff, Lavoff, and Ryan Ridley were involved with this. Animation director was Hao Young Jun, who worked on shows like Avatar The Last Airbender, The Legend of Korra, and Voltron. And the casting director for this, Linda LaMontagne, certainly deserves a lot of credit for her uh, for her directing here of these incredible actors for these roles. And one more uh, name here, Joaquin Dos Santos, is among the opening episode storyboard artists, and he is working. He's worked on Just League Unlimited, and he's going to be working on uh, uh, direct. Uh, uh, sorry, he's directing the Spider Verse sequel. So what yep. a jump from being a storyboard artist to directing a well, sequel. He was also incredible. one of the. He was also one of the leads on Voltron, and I've yes. been a fan of Joaquin's for a long time. You can go back and watch some of the old uh, Justice League Unlimited episodes, mm. and uh, some of the best uh, action episodes in that run were directed yeah. by Joaquin dos Santos. Like wow. he's been around for a long time, and his his boarding. When you look at some of the best moments of Justice League Unlimited, Avatar, Legend of Korra, and Voltron, which yeah. Uh, as a, as an arc, have some of the best action animation on TV. Uh, you will usually find his name there. Yep, he and he worked on the Guardians of the Globe sequence, and Omni Man ripped them to pieces in that first episode as well. And one last thing: direct, these episodes directed by Jeff Allen, who did eight of them. Paul Firminger did two, and Robert Alley did one of them. All right, let's break this thing down here. Let's start with storylines. Let's start with the big one: Mark and his dad. Okay, let's talk about that. Right here, as we jump into this whole situation, Mark and Nolan, Omni-Man and Invincible. Gentlemen, I'll go. Shannon, I'll start with you first. I'll start with Michael for the overall thoughts on this. What did you think about the father-son storyline throughout this series? Did you think, as someone who hadn't read the comics, all the twists and turns that they laid out through these eight episodes to that incredible finale, what did you think about how they built this out? And did it change your mind as you looked at it after that finale about how... Omni Man was kind of being a, a kind of a toxic masculine father with uh, Mark. Oh, I mean, I, I I think this would be <laughs> toxic masculinity would be the most drastic of understatements <laughs> ever. Fair enough. <laughs> in response to in response to that that, that character's journey, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's funny, like you know that that first episode where Mark throws the the trash can or the trash can the garbage uh, over, over yeah. the dumpster and. Uh, Omni Man Nolan starts starts training him, and that first time that he and I know we talked about it in our initial like our review of the first two episodes when he mm. gives him that slug to the gut, oh. um, 
heartbreaking heartbreaking like i never like i i know the stories of fathers and sons having having that kind of come to jesus moment of like okay are we doing this like i never i never had that moment with my dad my dad was always like a very laid-back guy um but just watching dad um hurt deliberately hurt his child um in the guise of this is for your good like this is you're gonna have to deal with this but really once you get to the end it's like okay how much can he take because he's only half me he's also half this weak species Mm -hmm. um really really fascinating and in the episode um where mark is working with mahershala's uh mahershala ali's character and they're they have that yeah, Titan. Titan. Um, they have that huge, huge fight at, at the top mm-hmm. of that building. And you're watching the Guardians of the Glow and Mark just get worked. And Omni-Man is just hovering there, watching, mm-hmm. not willing to help. And again, it's kind of like, okay, what is he? It's At that point in the series, it's, is he doing this for his good? Like, you, should not have, you shouldn't have come here? Or is it, okay, how much can he take? Um, it's a real, I mean, it was just a fascinating, fascinating dynamic, uh, between, between the two of them. And then when you throw, uh, Sandra O oh in yeah. as well, um, especially that moment early, like in the second episode where she's telling Mark to go inside and says, make me. And it's just like that, mm-hmm. that shittiness that a teenager has when you realize, mm-hmm. oh, you physically can't make me do anything anymore. I mean, just, yeah, it was so, so well done. And again, not having read the comic, um, I'd be curious to see what the time span was for this, for this to be laid out versus the eight episodes that we got. Yeah, Michael, I mean, let's, as someone who has read the comic, please take it away from there. Also throwing it, as you mentioned, the Debbie situation, Shannon, of course, uh, but uh, also this is a teen who is coming into his own as well, who's rushing to grow up and then realizes once he does grow up, what the consequences of that yeah. stuff is. You tell me, Mike, Did you? what did you think about how they handled the series versus how they handled it in the comic book? Well, it's interesting. So to one of the things Shannon was talking about, about the character design, but I think that mm. this applies kind of overall to everything, and then I could talk about how it applies to Omni-Man and Mark specifically, is the comic, when it came out, uh, it, it very much was, this is a bright, shiny, simply designed comic book. Mm. Like, the character design was very simple. The outfits are all bright primary colors. To Shannon's point, it's not dark at all. Like, it is the brightest that it can be. And uh, one of the big issues, not issues, but I was talking to a friend of mine who didn't really love the comic when it came out because for the first 11 issues, it's about a kid whose dad is basically Superman and he's learning to be a superhero. And they poke fun at the superhero conventions a little bit, but... It's basically a kid who's learning to be a hero and fly around and save the day and fight some aliens. And it's kind of just a fun superhero romp. But to your point, John, it's a little bit Peter Parker. It's a little bit my dad is Superman. It's a little bit Justice League is the the Guardians of the Globe or the Justice League. And it was like, okay, I get what this is, but it's not doing anything super different. As a comic book fan, I'm enjoying it, but it's not anything special. And then they were about to get canceled. Uh, Kirkman's talked about this in several interviews. Really? Like Invincible, oh. Invincible was like, eh, it's not doing great. And then issue 12 came out and Nolan killed the entire Guardians of the Globe. And everyone's like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> and so I think what, and, and from that point on, Invincible really became this thing where they had lulled you into a sense of this is a nice primary colored bright superhero world and then said, oh, by the way, nothing's that simple. It's really complicated. Now, what they did with the show, which is super, super smart, is 
they took the complicated thing, Nolan killing the Guardians of the Globe, and brought it all the way to the end of the first episode. So mm-hmm. now, even though each episode is Mark not knowing about this, and he's still kind of having the fun, we still see the fun of this primary colored superhero universe, we already know from the very beginning that there's a dark underbelly. We saw something at the end of fir- the first episode mm-hmm. that we were like, whoa, I was not expecting that level of violence what the fuck is going on so by doing that they managed to sort of take the tone of invincible as you got into further episodes and kind of bring it into the very beginning where as even though mark is still having a blast and he's meeting the team team and it's like this is all kind of fun and the threats don't seem that bad and he's Mm. so strong that nothing can really hurt him there's just this underbelly of like oh this 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 feels like Things are not going to end up as simple as they seem to be. And I think the stuff with his dad uh, to Nolan and Mark's relationship, I mean, uh, yeah, to Nolan and Mark's relationship is 100% that, is because we saw what Nolan did at the end of the first episode. If we hadn't seen that, we would have been like, okay, so this is basically Superman training his son to be Superman. But everything he does, we're like, what is his real deal? And in a lot of ways, just like we've talked about this with Agatha Harkness in WandaVision. We've talked about this a little bit with Zemo in the Falcon and Winter Soldier reviews. Even though Omni-Man is doing what he's doing for maybe not the right reasons, he is teaching Mark some valuable lessons. Uh, Everything he says when he punches him super hard in the beginning and says, this is what it means to be me. Like, this is what you have to be able to go. you, You have to be this tough. Like, he's saying it because he's like, you're a Viltrumite and we have a lot of stuff to do. But... For the journey that Mark's going to go on, those are lessons that are going to be valuable to him. And so having that super complicated relationship, uh, you know, you get to the end of episode eight and Mark is just there, you know, bleeding from the mouth. And Omni-Man is like, "Where? who, who will you have 500 years from now? And he's like, I would have you. Yeah. Like having that kind well, of complicated relationship where you're the guy that's taught me everything about being me. You're yeah. my dad. And also... You're now everything that I hate about myself, but you've also taught me the things that are good. I don't know how I feel. That's what makes the show complicated. And that's just in that. But you can take every single thing and every single issue that we're used to with the superhero universe and see how already Invincible is peeling it back and being like, yeah, none of this is as complicated as it is. None of this is as uncomplicated as it is in your other superhero stories. Yeah, it's a, those are excellent points you bring up, Mike. Absolutely, I think so too. It's such a it's such an unconventional it's such a conventional yet unconventional father son storyline for sure. How many people watching, if they're actually being honest about their dads, have had dads like that? I remember mm-hmm. when I was a kid growing up. I don't know. I was in a Boy Scout meeting when I was eight, nine years old, or ten years old probably, and I saw uh, this kid mouth off to his dad in front of people, and his dad chased him down in the gymnasium, the elementary school gymnasium we're meeting on, and he beat him with his boot, his cowboy boot. He beat him in front of everybody, then made him walk back to join the group while he was crying, and it was his way of saying, you're going to respect me, and you're going to toughen up. And I was like, my God, and this is the stuff that you see here in this relationship, but you're right. And it's very similar to what we got uh, with that film with J.K. Simmons. Why can't I think of it? Directed by Damien Chazelle. uh, Uh, Whiplash. Whiplash. It's so similar to Whiplash, the complicated relationship, the mentor slash father figure with the kid who's learning how to actually bring out his best. And in retrospect, you can say, well, this is him, as you said, Shannon, testing him because just in case Mark doesn't want to go along with his plan at the end of this thing, 
he's going to have to fight him and he's going to have to know what his weaknesses are and how much he can actually take. So certainly we see that a very complicated relationship. I do like Debbie getting her own agency of investing in this. This could have been an easily character, that, sorry, easily written character that just goes off and is the superhero's wife. There's much more complexity throughout this series that I really enjoyed in Sandra O's oh performance as well, uh, in what she's doing, her own investigations, her own snapping at Nolan, her own like calling him out, all of that. And yet we still get, like you said, Michael, a complicated relationship because she senses there's something worse here. And even at the end, when he is showing who he is, she still wants Cecil to call off the dogs, to not have mm -hmm. him killed, to not. So there's still love there, even though Omni Man is completely off his rocker here or doing his what he's been programmed to do in essence. I, I think the women uh, mm. definitely get a better, not a be, they, they're better, they're, they're more developed in the series than they mm. were in the comic. Adam Eve was always pretty great, uh, yeah. but I think both Debbie and Amber, uh, Zazie Beetz character, yes. both get a lot more to do and are way more essential to the bigger story than they were in the original comic book run. I think they both, uh, smartly, they were like, let's actually give them more agency. Let's, let's develop these stories out a little more. And I think that also made the show stronger. Yeah, thing. Yep. One of the things that I really loved about about Sandra O's oh performance, and I feel like this is this is a lot of just moms. Moms are smart. Yes, like it's really hard to you know to pull to pull one over on a mom, and then mm. you see that also apply to Nolan um, yep. because you see like, like obviously he's incredibly powerful. Um, it it, he, it it took a team of superheroes. Uh, to 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 make him bleed essentially, mm. but you see how Debbie does not back down from him, and then when she's the one who ends up getting his his uniform, his costume, mm -hmm. and you just see like, oh, he's incredibly powerful, but you can tell she's probably smarter than he is. Yeah. Um, and anytime, I mean, this is this has nothing to do with Debbie, but it just made me think about when you said Whiplash, John. Yeah. <laughs> anytime. Omni Man is teaching Mark a lesson. I always I hear not not quite my tempo. Not my tempo. <laughs> In my head, I kept waiting for that. Kept waiting for that moment. Uh, not quite my tempo. What the hell are you doing, man? Yeah, that's what you want to hear. That's what you want to hear for sure. Uh, let's bring up the two as you mentioned here, Michael. Let's bring up Amber and Adam Eve and the relationship with Mark. I thought this was oh, fantastically done. Um, you know, I thought Zazie Beats just growing in all the things that she can do. It's so great to hear Gillian Jacobs again, especially after I've done a recent community rewatch a few weeks ago. Uh, it was great to see both of them and the different um, journeys that they're all on. The only thing that I didn't like was the reveal that Amber knew the whole time it was a superhero. It seemed to make her anger in other episodes lose their weight completely if she knew the guy was a superhero for quite some time. So I thought that way, I thought that was the only moment that seemed to be mishandled in this entire uh, triangle. What did you think about this uh, throughout the whole episode? <laughs> So I think that uh, so Amber, like I mean, they they changed her ethnicity. They gave her yes. a much bigger role. They gave her a much more uh, complicated uh, and nuanced relationship with Mark. So I think it was a little bit. I will admit to you, yes, it was a little bit of a cheat. But I kind of liked it. Like if mm -hmm. she had, if they had on the college campus, if she had pulled the Mark, I know that you were the guy. I'm just right. pissed you're not telling me. That would have been more realistic, but it would have tipped their hand. And I think that. What they played, which was interesting, is we are so used... Again, this is the bigger... 
let's set up a typical comic book situation and then turn it on its head a little bit. The typical yeah. comic book situation is I'm mad because you're supposed to be my boyfriend, but you're always running off and you need to pay attention to me. And then the guy comes in and says, yeah, but I'm a hero. And she goes, oh my God, that's amazing. I love you. And that's what Mark thought was going to happen. Mark thought he was going to come in and say, hey, so like... I'm invincible. And she would have been like, oh, now it all makes sense and you're great. And she said something which is accurate and I think is justified, which is, I figured that out a while, dummy. You have been lying to my face. How are we supposed to have an honest relationship? This is a huge part of your life. You're not going to tell me. And I think they dealt with the reality of that situation in a surprising way. Like, had she, like, the fact that she was like, yeah, I'm not an idiot, dude. Like, that, I get it, but... (laughs) you literally lie to me every minute of every day and I'm tired of it. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? Valid. Right. How about Adam oh. Eve in her journey? We'll get to Shannon. I'll have your response to that for real quick. Sorry. Oh, I think we, I think we got his response. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially when, yeah. And we'll get to that. But at, and now what about Adam Eve, Mike? I mean, we saw her progression as well, not only her relationship with Mark, but her relationship with her parents uh, and, you know, kind of going toe to toe, but shout out to Fred Tatashore who played her dad. But you, yep. you, you get that back and forth. And then she goes and builds herself a treehouse. She is going on her own journey within the journey that everyone else is going on events. Well, I thought that was great as well. Yeah, and I think well, and I think Adam Eve is interesting because again, normally in a typical superhero, in the in the classic superhero world we, yeah. we usually uh, inhabit, to your point, you brought up Mary Jane Watson and Gwen Stacy. Yeah, the girls are always the bystanders. And so having Mark step into this superhero world and one of the first people he meets uh, in costume is another girl from high school who is a hero. And so yeah. The, that relationship is different because this isn't the, he's got the Amber relationship over here, which is the typical, I have to hide who I am from you. But then he's got this other person who's like, oh, I, you can show me the ropes. Like when she was like, oh, did you puke? Yeah, for the first time. Like, she is a more experienced hero than him. And beyond that, given her own arc separate from Mark, is her figuring out the kind of hero she wants to be. And I think this is, as we get into season two and three, you're going to see this over and over, is that she realizes and she says to Mark, uh, when she goes off on her own and builds that treehouse and is out doing good, she helps more people in a few days than she does punching a bunch of super-powered assholes in the middle of a city. And this is an idea that Invincible is going to touch on again and again and again, which is uh, if you really had a world where people have these levels of powers, there's a lot of other things they could do than punching a giant dragon that are going to be better for the world. And Adam, Eve already starting to go on that journey, I think is really interesting and something we're going to see more of. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly that's in the comic as well, the idea of violence and how that changes Mark, especially after this, after this finale, what he experiences with his father, how that changes him and how that affects everyone else around. And of course, Robert Kirkman's so great at presenting a premise, then evolving the characters and having them challenge you as the reader or the viewer to see where you stand with them and if it relates to your own life and your own journey and your own evolution on your points of views on things. It's fascinating stuff they do here. Uh, Shannon, all right, comments on uh, comments already on, uh, on Amber and on uh, Adam Eve, please go ahead. So Adam, the great thing <clears throat> about both characters to me is, is these are two examples of people that are just good. Yeah. And they're also teenagers. So I think so I think that speaks to a lot for, for both of the characters. I love that. Eve. I mean, I love that, you know, she um, once she realized that Rex Blode was was, you know, having having a thing <laughs> <laughs> behind her back, like she removed herself from the situation. When right. She realized that Mark liked Amber. 
she removed herself from the situation. Um, it was just, I, I'll be really curious to see, to see her journey if she stays on this path of just being good through the amber of it all. <laughs> now, I would say for the most part, like, yeah, she was absolutely, this, this is a good character. She helps out at a shelter. Um, she just seems yeah. like a good person. By the end, I wouldn't say it was mishandled, but what I would say is, you know, Invincible is doing this for your protection. Oh, oh. <laughs> and, and, and the fact that you're pulling, it, it, to me, it is the pettiness of a teenager, um, which completely tracks that okay. she's like, I'm mad at you. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to be this committed couple, yet you keep things from me. And it's like, you you could get killed if you if you knew everything. So <laughs> the moment the mo like I, I was not expecting for her to be like, yeah, I I, I know that you're invincible. Um, it, it does make me laugh. Like, and I think the Green Lantern movie for all of its problems. Um, it's, oh wow! It's, it's the one movie that has sort of uh, identified the yes, I know I know who you are just because you cover your cheekbones. That doesn't disguise your identity. The fact that Mark's got his hair out, you've got his jawline. It's like, oh well, yeah, I can tell you. You're, you're not wearing the Spider-Man mask. You're not even wearing the Batman mask. Like, I can tell who you are. Um, but I, his I best just, friend couldn't. So <laughs> until the end or near the end. Yeah. yeah. He, well, he, he was too busy ogling college guys. Oh boy, <laughs> to, okay. to really pay attention. Um, but but I mean, I, I thought that I thought the journeys were both really really interesting. Like, I didn't think mm -hmm. it was out of character for her to do what she did. I think again, that speaks to the that speaks to the pettiness of a teenager to be like, yeah. well, you know, we're, we're not supposed to keep anything from each other. You've been lying to me. And it's just like, yeah. he's been help. He's been saving people. Get off your high horse, Amber. Wow. Wow. All right. Well, there's your uh, thoughts. Man. Uh, let's, we, we only have a limited time to discuss things. We're already at 35 <laughs> minutes. You both said your points. I think the fans will know which side they want to be on for sure. Uh, let's move on to an over. <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to it overall uh, next thing let's talk about the new guardians of the globe certainly we had the original guardians of the globe that was such a brutal scene and we'll talk about the gore just or at least touch on the gore but what did you think about the the new guardians of the globe and their journey throughout this jason mansukas of course playing rex blood who apparently everybody wants to bang uh, uh you know duplicate played by melise Robot, I think Zachary Quinto, this may be his best stuff since Star Trek, in my opinion. I thought he was fantastic yeah. in this. You did have Adam Eve as well. Kari Payton, friend of the show, Kari Payton as Black Samson uh, uh, as well. What did you guys think about all of this uh, uh, throughout, the, uh, throughout the series and their journey as they came together as a team? Yeah, super enjoyable. I mean, again, it's mm. like when you when you get far enough down the road of a story that you can start paying attention, you can start giving your supporting characters some life. I love the fact that Black Samson Black Samson lost his powers. Now he yeah. uses his suit. Rexplode, kind of a dick, kind of an asshole, but ultimately does want to do the right thing when you're when you're in an emergency. Monster Girl, her her relationship with Robot. I was like, oh my gosh, like I've never this this take that every time she changes. Her real self keeps like she's got a Benjamin Button she's thing on. Week. She, yeah, she keeps getting younger. I was like, oh yeah. my god, this is so th th this is so compelling. And then to see robots, uh, uh, robots arc of how yeah. he, he connects with her, and he's like, you know, I don't, you know, uh, you you find out who Robot actually is, and yeah, everything about the new Guardians of the Globe, like I'm, yeah, it was just it was just so enjoyable. Um, and agree with you, John. I mean, uh, Zachary Quinto, like, I loved him as Spock. I've seen him in other stuff. Where I'm yeah. like, eh, maybe, maybe not his strongest work. I think he's knocking it out of the park right now as Robot. Yeah. Oh, 
Guardians of the Globe. Is he frozen? No, he's good. Okay. Why do you think how they handled Guardians of the Globe throughout? And talk to me. What is the attraction to Rexplode? I mean, Duplicate, Adam, Eve, and uh, and uh, uh, Monster Girl all wanted to get with him. So you tell me. I mean, because I mean, Robot changes himself to kind of look like a younger version of Rexplode. Explain it. Uh, listen, <laughs> I, I will tell you, I, I, you know what though? I'm right with him. Like, I'm like, oh God, Rexplode's such a dick. I'm like, I would, I would probably hook up with Rexplode. Wow. Like, I, would, I would probably do it. Like, I was, uh, like, like I had this whole conversation with somebody where I was like, man, there, he's, he's such a dick, but there's something about him. I've, I've had more conversations than I should about which comic, which comic book and animated characters I would hook up with. There's an entire list. Uh, I'm not. There's some that I'm proud of. There's some that I'm like that would be my guy. Rexplode, yeah. not proud about it, but I could see it happening. It could happen. Um, I think it's great. I think that you know what I, what I enjoy about this show is for you know for Shannon, he's meeting all these characters for the first time. Yeah, right. And they do such a good job, like I said, of taking like the idea of multiple man but like giving you duplicate and doing some different things with it giving you the idea of the hulk but doing a little tweak with monster girl that makes it unique and different and invincible does this so well throughout like giving you a something that is i know this from comics but i never thought about it in quite this way Mm. and what's fun for shannon is he's meeting all these characters for the first time and he's like oh there's a lot of potential here what's fun for me is as soon as any of these characters are showing up on screen I'm like, I know where this character or this character or this relationship is going to go and watching them get everything right. Because, like, you know, it it all gets changed around a little bit. Some stuff is streamlined. Some stuff is moved around like we talked about. But the the overall gist of these characters and the little little seeds that they're planting with certain characters that you know that that's going to bear fruit in season two and season three, they're doing it all right. And I was – when I heard it was going to be eight episodes – I was, I wouldn't say concerned, but I think I probably had an assumption that Mm -hmm. some of these storylines of these secondary characters or some of these secondary characters altogether might get moved or brought in later to focus on the Omni-Man, Mark, Debbie story. Uh, And it's been really, really delightful to see the way that they have managed to pack so much in. Uh, You know, I mean, we talk a lot about Falcon and Winter Soldier's six episodes and how sometimes it felt like they dragged some storylines and didn't make enough room for other things that we would have liked to have seen. And I think Invincible just shows you how much you can really pack in there. I mean, that cast is ginormous. And yeah. as you know from that final beat in, uh, in, the, in, the, in the finale, in the eighth episode, which we'll talk about, uh, they've set up like five or six storylines that yep. are going to keep going on. Yeah. Uh, and let's move forward now to the Global Defense Agency and Cecil Stedman. Talk to me. Uh, swing back to you, Michael. Talk to me about Cecil Stedman and how Walton Goggins did his journey with his character throughout his relationship with uh, with uh, Damien Darkblood as well and trying to kind of circumvent that investigation. What did you think overall about how they transferred Cecil Stedman from the page to uh, to the animated series? I mean, Cecil's great. I mean, yeah. Cecil's just a great, interesting character. Uh, and just the way that they play the government stuff. Uh, mm. You know, I mean, this is a world where the government is, you know, we talk a lot about, again, with Marvel, we talk about the Sokovia Accords and the Avengers are over here and the government is over here and whatever. This is a world where the government is not just working with the heroes, but fully funding the heroes and covering up things for the heroes. And kind of that's what allows the heroes to live the lives that they lead. Um, but for all that being said, the government is definitely doing their own thing as well. And mm. 
Cecil walks this fine line between you like him and he's fun and he's cool, but you're also like, do I a thousand percent trust you? Like, do I real like when he takes Mark into that room at the end with the white light and he's like, mm. let me show you briefly a bunch of shit that we're doing and just even the idea, you know, and and they got to this really quick, but you know, you have that episode where Mark and Amber and William go to the college campus. Right, crazy dude is experimenting on people. Uh, Cecil and the government come in and they're like, all right, we're going to take care of all this. And the next thing you see is the government has that guy working and building him an army of those guys. And you're like, yeah. And, and again, it's, it's, it's the thing, but it's the thing that I keep coming back to is they, they've purposely given you this primary colored, bright superhero universe. And visually they're like, see, we're fun superheroes. And every single choice that they make says, by the way, this is really more complicated than you would think it would be. And that's just in season one. And if they continue on the track that they're doing, it's going to get worse and worse. Yeah. Uh, Shannon, thoughts on Cecil Stepman and the Global Defense Agency? Yeah, awesome. Like, like I think I wrote Vogel at one point. I texted him. They're like, you know, Cecil's got to cut that hair, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you if you have massive uh... scarring on your face and you're losing, you know, uh, the, the 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 battle on top with keeping your hair, maybe wow. don't grow it out. I don't know if that was to distract from the scars. Wow. It's oh, like uh, he needs a little queer eye for the government guy. Like that's oh. what he needs. <laughs> but as a character. Just absolutely <laughs> fascinating. I mean, it's sort of like uh, like the, the coolest parts of Amanda Waller are, yeah. are with this yeah. guy. Um, and Walton Goggins' uh, performance, uh, not that I've, I've seen everything he's in, but I've seen a lot of it. And it, he tends to play Southern uh, almost always um, to hear him not playing Southern. Like at first I was kind of like, who is Like I recognize that voice and I had to look it up. And I'm like, oh my God, that's Walton Goggins. He's doing dynamite, dynamite work. And yeah. He just has such an interesting arc from Mark's point of view that is like he starts as this government guy that like, I don't know if we can trust this guy. You get to the end and you see like, oh, this is actually a compassionate guy. And I still don't know if we can trust you. I mean, he's such a fun character to watch. And uh, Damien Darkblood as well. Oh. Easily my second favorite character, like oh. a little bit of Etrigan, a little bit of Hellboy. Yeah. Um, Certainly hope that we get to see him again. Obviously, you guys know this. I and don't. some Columbo and some Columbo throwing and a little and, and a little Columbo. Columbo. <laughs> but well, yeah, I mean, they were like Clancy Brown and Walton Goggins are both just doing awesome work in this. Yeah. Well, and I think like to your point, I mean, Cecil falls into that category of like it again. It's the reality of if we had a world with superheroes, yeah, the government would do what they're doing and like want to like take care of them. And these guys are our first line of defense, and we need to make sure we need to patch them up when they're when they're when they're uh, busted up and everything. Like, and also you also need to be ready to do to do what you need to do if they're going to go bad. So Cecil yeah. kind of goes beyond good or bad and gets more into a what's good for hum humans in a post-humanity -human world. And yep. uh, that's going to be to Mark's benefit sometimes, and it's going to probably be to Mark's detriment at some times. And that's going to be another, again, like just as so we talked about this super complicated relationship that Mark has with his dad, mm. uh, his dad's now gone and Cecil's stepping in, and that's going to be an equally complicated relationship for him to navigate. I imagine not all superheroes wear capes, like they say. I, I mean, in a in a way, he's kind of a hero as well, a more practical hero, a more 
rational hero, a human hero, because he doesn't have superpowers to rely on. He has to use his intelligence, his knowledge, his connection to things. And he's always so, and and I can say this as well, and Shani, you bring up excellent points. You know, we've seen Walton Goggins, we've seen Clancy Brown, you bring up Green Lantern, he was the, he voiced the villain in Green Lantern. (laughs) Like, uh, we've seen them play these out there characters or these deep Southern characters like Shawshank Redemption or whatever. These are two of the most restrained yet really powerful performances from both of these guys voiceover wise that I thought was excellent to listen to and watch throughout the season for sure. Uh, you know, you bring up, yeah. you bring, just really quickly, you bring up, yeah. I just do want to give a shout out to the voiceover because a lot of times when yeah. you have a show that like brings in the, the big celebrity voices that brings in the heat, uh, you kind of sometimes overlook the amazing voiceover talent that works in the industry that's doing it every single day. Oh, and this show really just had, just down the line, you mm-hmm. had uh, the, you know, you had the Sandra O's, the J.K. Simmons, Mahershal Ali's, you had like these big, big names coming in. But right. then at the same time, you had the Kevin Michael Richardsons and the Kari Paytons and the Clancy Browns and the Great Delisles. And yep. you really just had such a wonderful, wonderful blend of, yeah, yeah Fred Tattashore. Like you had a wonderful blend of people who have been doing this for a living for years and have just been yeah. killing it over and over and over again and other people who we know from more of the live action uh, landscape who are coming in and also doing equally amazing work. So I think that like they really had such a lovely blend and gave everybody their chance to shine. Yeah, and even in that first episode, you got people like Sonequa Martin-Green, Lenny James, uh, 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 Michael Dorn, who got like, you know, kind of tore to pieces. So they were able to come in and do like one episode and then roll on out of here, except for the immortal who got to come back for sure, but only for a brief amount of time. (laughs) It's in the name. It's in the name. He was ripped in half, yeah. Um, let's let's uh, let's touch on that a little bit before we we, we got to wrap up here in just a little bit. But how about the overall um, violence in the show? Did you think it was too much? Did you think it was just the right amount? And touching on the finale as well, did you? That was really probably the most violent of all the episodes. What did you think overall about how they handled this? There were heads being split open, bodies being ripped in half, blood everywhere, uh, blood on costumes. Uh, shout out to Mark Hamill as well, voiceover wise. What did you guys think about all of uh, how they handled the gore throughout the series? I mean, it seemed like they handled it correctly. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think you know you you get that warning at the begin at the beginning yeah. saying you know, what you're about to watch is X, Y, and Z. Um, so you assume that it, it it is going to it is going to be bloody, it is going to be gory. But then you know they just they kind of set that bar with episode one with Omni Man taking on the Guardians of the Globe. I mean, when he I think it was uh, was it Red Rush the the Russian speedster. Oh yeah. Um, the the moment that he kind of uh, squishes his head and you actually oh. see the eyeballs <laughs> his eyeballs bolt out. It's like yeah. oh okay, so that's what this show is going to be. Um, and it, it's it's kind of shocking at first, but then once again once you get down the 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 storytelling road a little bit and you do become so invested in these characters as omni-man is just pummeling mark yeah you know your heart it just you're you're so on mark's side and it's so even though this you know this is not real this is ink and and you're so (laughs) it it just it just rips your heart out and when he when in time um that he kind of does the a little bit of a wishbone um it is so so affecting and i don't know is the immortal coming back they so just said they so just call the immortal he's called the immortal <laughs> uh that's all i'll say michael what did you think overall how they handled the gore here comic to animated series 
I mean, I think it's definitely gorier seeing it in animation than yeah, anything that sure. you can do in a still image. And look, here's my feeling about it. I, I am not a fan of violence just for violence sake. Like, I, you know, whether it be in animation or live action, if something is just, like, super violent to be, like, look how gory we can be, I kind of get bored or I kind of think it's a little, like, gratuitous or over the top. But if there's a reason for it, I think it can be really affecting. And I think mm-hmm. with Invincible, they use the violence very clearly on purpose as the counterpoint to the bright and shiny, colorful superhero world that they present you with. Like, by having this world that we are so used to seeing in, like, how many animated superhero shows do we watch? I mean, we all grew up watching X-Men, 90s X-Men, 90s Spider-Man, you know, uh, Young Justice, like, pick your show. And we've seen these epic superhero brawls that we love. Like, we were just talking about Joaquin Dos Santos' work on Justice League Unlimited. But as much as we've seen amazing superhero battles, they never go as far as they would realistically go when buildings are falling down and two superpowered beings are punching the shit out of each other. Mm-hmm. And Invincible just presents a premise that says, this is what it would look like. Right. Let's, let's deal with this for a minute. And what does that mean to a teenage superhero who's stepping into this world and is instantly exposed to that level of violence? Right. And everything that they do as far as showing you this graphic, graphic violence. And, you know, you just talk about the season finale. And, I mean, when, when Omni-Man holds Mark's face up to that subway train mm. and uses Mark to just brutally kill a train full of people and you just see the blood and guts everywhere and Mark is drenched in blood. Yeah. I, I'm sure that there are people out there that feel like that's uncalled for in an animated series and that it's gratuitous, but I think that's the point. And I think that Mark dealing with that kind of trauma and deciding what kind of hero he's going to be is what the show is about. So I found it really, really affecting. Like, And I do think that by letting it be that violent, like you're, to Shannon's point, your heart just goes out to Mark. Like you are just like, that is rough. And watching a superhero have to heal for two weeks because he got the shit right. kicked out of him so bad, that's also something we're not used to seeing. And I think it's good to see it. Yeah, agreed, agreed. It reminded me that final with the subway train that visually, of course, we'd seen a couple of visually, it reminded me a lot of Hard Boiled, the old Frank Miller, Jeff Darrow comic yeah. book. If people haven't read that one, you should totally read that one. They have the images there, the body parts flying everywhere, blood and all that kind of stuff really felt kind of a, a reminiscent of that as well. Uh, all right, we got a few minutes here and let's wrap up. Uh, overall, we get to that finale, get a lot of stuff revealed. The Viltrumite stuff gets revealed. Uh, Nolan calls his wife uh, basically a pet, or I mean, like, wow, it was so insane. How <laughs> far? I mean, I, you know, how far down the rabbit hole he goes into evil, and of course, it was kind of previewed. I think the third episode where he goes through that portal to tell them you don't, uh, you're not coming back here anymore, you know, and it was all red, and he destroyed that entire species, civilization actually, and then comes on back. You you got that sense there, and then all of that being revealed in that eighth episode to show, yeah, the whole time he was this guy who was going to essentially rule the earth with Viltrumite. What did you guys think now that we've that this has happened? Where do we go from here? What did you think about that reveal and the finale, uh, uh, Michael? Uh, I mean, look, yes, first of all, just Nolan's disdain for humanity. I mean, just his his Ooh. attitude towards humanity is is brutal. Uh, but again, an alien race like that, like that's also realistic. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, I think that that's, you know, like like when he calls Debbie a pet, it's you're like, fuck that. Like to, to oddly to me, too, for all the things that he said 
Uh, and I, I, I think it probably is credit to Sandra O oh for making us like Debbie so much. But when yeah. he says, I like her the way that I would like a pet, that, <laughs> of all the things in that episode, for some reason, that's like a gut punch more so than some... Yes. I think that... I think that, and when he says to Mark, what's another 17 years, I'll just make another, I'll make another song. Oh, yeah. Like, I think those are the Woo. two, those are the two things that he says that just, from an emotional impact, cut the deepest. Like, you're just like, that, that those were, that, those were low blows. Um, but as, as far as the reveal of the Viltramite stuff, this is what Invincible successfully did for its entire comic book run, mm-hmm. which is it would give you a thing that would be like, this is the biggest thing you'll ever have to deal with. And then it just sort of very easily transitioned into, oh no, now this is what Invincible is about. And mm-hmm. when Alan comes back at the end to warn Mark that there's a Viltrumite on the planet and Mark sits him down and he's like, okay, we've, we've covered that already. And Alan all of a sudden is like, the coalition of planets is trying to get enough alien species together that we can stand up against the Viltrumites. No Viltrumite yeah. has ever left their post the way that Omni-Man did. This is really weird. Like, like all of a sudden, and Mark even says it. Mark says, I kind of feel good that there's this bigger thing out there. It makes me mm-hmm. feel not so alone. And I think that it, it just all of a sudden, like, it opens up. Like, this show just, that that final scene where then Alan is like, well, what are you going to do now? And Mark says, I'm going to finish high school. But you see that everything yeah. that happened when Mark went to Mars is out there. Like, there's some shit going down on Mars. Uh, You know, there's shit going down with those aliens that came and invaded early on. Like, all the things that just kind of were happening in season one while this overall Omni-Man story was unfolding are still out there. And in addition to that, and Alan says it, he's like, the Viltrumites don't give up on a planet. And Mark could barely deal with his dad. And the only reason, (laughs) the only reason he got away uh, was that Nolan had just a hint of humanity deep down inside of him where he couldn't ultimately kill his own son and didn't know what to do and took off. But any other Viltrumites ain't going to have that problem. So, you know, you leave season one on this huge, like, holy shit, this very personal story about this boy and his dad. And and you say, oh, by the way, the next two seasons, we're opening this up and there's an entire planet of those dudes coming and there's really nothing that you can do against them. And that is really compelling. Dudes and females, they, right? Yes. Both, both, yeah. So they're all kind oh, of k- kills the females. I mean, there's. Ooh, speaking of that, I don't want. I don't want to get into too many spoilers, but there is some shit that goes down. And I really, I, I will say, I will say this: there's a lot of things that um, Invincible does in the comics over yeah. its entire run that really challenge you as a comic book reader uh, with with the way they they treat things and handle things and and the. Again, a, a lot, and, and a lot of the show really deals with like superhero, tra- superhero teen trauma, yeah. and I'm really curious to see if they really go as far as the comic does in some of those arcs. Because if they do, I think these, this is going to be a show that continues to just like knock people on their ass. And yeah. everything they've done in season one leads me to believe they will. So I'm very excited. Good point. Good point. Uh, Shannon, what'd you think uh, finale? Uh, all of this uh, uh, and what it what it might be teasing as we go forward in seasons two and three, as you mentioned earlier. I mean, the big turn about what what. Uh, Omni Man's plan was. It was kind of like th- as soon as uh, episode one finished, I'm like, I, like I feel like this is where this is going. Either mm. he wants to take over the planet for his planet, or they're gonna blow the planet up um, for for whatever reason. So it's like I kind of assumed that was that's where we were headed. That being said, when we got there and you're hearing you're hearing these words for the first time, you're hearing a father say to his son these things. Like, yeah. it, again, it's just heartbreaking. And and you know, kudos to the performance of J.K. Simmons. Um, uh, one, 
Viltrum is clearly like, what if Krypton were like Sparta? Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are. Which I'll be know, honest with you. I didn't mind so much. I didn't mind, but you know, uh, let it be. There. Go, ahead, go ahead. I mean, the, the, only the strong will survive on this planet. Now that we've got the, you know, the creme de la creme, now we're going to do it to the universe yeah. is a truly frightening thing. And probably like, I don't know if there's extraterrestrials out there. I don't think that's that much of a stretch. Yeah. If there the are. Whole, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's the, it's the uh, Loki argument in Avengers. Like, you know, I, I, I don't have any concern concern about you know an ant or i uh, ant being a ant in the boot the ant in the yep. boot argument um but to, again to go to the Deb, debbie being a pet it's not just what jk simmons said it's how he said it yeah yeah and it's so kind of like really you're like you're gonna bust my balls about this like his right. his justification for it which is the most frightening thing. Like, you know, you hear people who, who have pets and like, you know, your pets become a part of your family, but then you, Mm -hmm. you, you hear other people be like, it was just a cat. It was just a dog. And he's saying this about his wife. Uh, Just, yeah, just a truly gut punch of a moment. Um, No idea where the show is going to go. I have some some ideas, Um, but yeah, can't, can't wait to get there. Yeah, I love the finale as well. I thought it was very, very well done. And yes, you're right. The way he says, he doesn't say it to hurt Mark. He just says it so matter-of-factly, which is even more chilling because it is devoid. And you would think the one person who could maybe make him change his mind about how to view this planet could be her or is her. And even he is so uh, devoid of emotion when he speaks about her in this thing is just so pervasive throughout but then he does hesitate he doesn't finish his son off so what does that mean that's what we're going to find out in seasons two and three for sure but i enjoy it thoroughly and alan the alien i mean seth rogan is hilarious but uh i'd love if they pinned this whole thing on alan the alien that'd be hilarious on so many levels because of what he admits in those final sequences there with with mark but yeah it leaves you wanting more it leaves you excited for what's to come uh and maybe they you know maybe to shannon's uh, uh joy they'll work on the animation for him but overall <laughs> i know i think they i think they really nailed it voiceover wise nailed it storyline wise i think they did a great adaptation of this thing i'm looking forward to seeing what changes they make in seasons two and three and some of the storylines and as Mike said, smoothing out some of the more underdeveloped characters or people like that. And will they lean into the violence or the gore of it even more as situations call for it as we go forward? We shall see. But overall, damn good series. Uh, Definitely worth a rewatch as a binge for sure. Uh, For sure. and, And I will say one thing. Rarely do you get an animated series that goes past 30 minutes that can be this engaging, chock full of in, and in, uh, chock full of storylines and interesting characters, and they certainly do it this time around. And that's it's a rarity in animation, from my experience with animation. Mike? I I really hope I loved an eight episode run where each animated episode was forty five minutes. I yeah. I think I would love to see this open things up and start to have more shows where we don't have an animated show that just cuts off. You have it in half hour chunks. Like give us a 45 minute, give us an hour long. Like I think that this does to your point, it proves that not only can an animated show sustain that level of engagement, but that there is an audience out there for it. Uh, I think that, uh, so hopefully this leads to more in that vein. 
I agree with you. All right. Well, that's our thoughts on season one of Invincible. Thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, Shannon, what do we have to tell them? Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at Geek underscore Buddies. On Instagram, at The underscore Geek underscore Buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung. On Instagram, at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, it is at MK2. And if you would like to follow Mr. Roca, it is at The Roca Says. Mikey? Uh, look, we hope you think of us as your buddies. Maybe you think of us as your pets. Either way, oh we God. want no. you to keep watching. <laughs> um, so here's a couple things that you can do uh, to keep us geek buddying out week after week after week. Uh, you can hit the like button below. You can subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw page. There's a ton of awesome content, lots of Geek Buddies content for you to uh, engage with, but lots of other amazing content as well. Uh, definitely leave us comments. What did you think of Invisible? Was the violence too much? Who were your favorite characters? Are you a fan of the comic? Uh, with no, Without any spoilers, what are some things that you're excited about seeing? Let's keep it spoiler-free as much as we can for all the people. Um, but let us know what you think. We will get back to you. Uh, if you are listening to us on Anchor or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, leave us some rankings there. Leave us uh, some some stars, some comments. It helps more people find us. And of course, the best thing that you can do is retweet this video or post it on your Facebook page or send it around to your friends on social media and say, hey, those geek buddies, they're kind of fun. And we would really appreciate it. Absolutely. And also, if you want to do an Instagram story about the show or this particular review, please do so on your Instagram and tag the Geek Buddies account so more people can follow it and we can keep building up that fan base as well. All right, that's it from us. Thank you all so much. Take care of yourselves and we'll talk to you next time. Another brand new episode of The Geek Buddies! Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.